Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. John chapter 1, some of the most wonderful words in the Bible. All the words are wonderful, but these are especially wonderful as they talk about the incarnation of Christ and all the wonderful things. It's just a powerful passage of Scripture, uh, five powerful verses. This is what John wrote, and of course he's talking about Jesus because the, the, the word, word, with a capital W, is a reference to Christ. And he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received This is a verse in the Bible you ought to underscore, highlight that verse right there. That verse right there. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Read this stuff and we just let it slide right by and we don't realize what we're reading. For the law was given through Moses, but grace... And truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. You may be seated this morning. I want to start with a statement. I want to start with a statement that is packed full of such truth. God is a glorious God. Amen. Let's try that again. So if those of you who want to say something can this time. God is a glorious God. He is, isn't he? He is the God of all glory. As wetness is intrinsic to water and heat is intrinsic to the sun and blue is intrinsic to the sky, glory is intrinsic to God. We use these words and sometimes we don't even understand what we're saying. But glory, in its simplest definition, in our our most fundamental understanding of it, is that glory is the recognition of God. When you glorify God, you recognize God. That's why when we talk about when we praise and worship and we're glorifying the Lord, we're, we're pointing attention to him. We're singing about him. We're recognizing him. And so the glory of God is the recognition of God. It's the presence of God. It's how you know that God is here. In the Bible, the glory of God was often displayed as a brilliant light. And the Jewish rabbis referred to it as Shekinah glory. The word Shekinah is not in your Bible. It's found in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are essentially commentaries on the Old Testament written by Jewish rabbis. But the, but the concept is there. You, you look at when the children of Israel came through the wilderness, God manifested himself by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It wasn't just normal fire. It was the Shekinah brilliance or glory of God. Normally the glory of God comes as a cloud or a light, by the way. 
if, if you read in the Old Testament. So it's, it makes sense that he would be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of brilliance by night. When Moses encountered him at the burning bush and he saw a bush that was on fire but wasn't consumed, it was no ordinary fire. It was the Shekinah glory. I think, I know I can say this, sad to say, not all believers, but I think many believers are attracted to, are drawn to the glory of God. There's something about his glory that pulls us. There's a, there's a secular song that says, uh, I'm the magnet and you're the steel. And that's kind of how it is with God. God is the magnet and, and we're steel and we are drawn, attracted, pulled to the glory of God. It's, 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 we're attracted to the glory of God like natural man is attracted to the glitter of a diamond or the, or the, or the shininess of a gold nugget. There's a, there's a story in the Bible that really, to me, illustrates this the most. Moses, if there was ever, at least in the Old Testament, a person who walked with God and, and talked to God face to face, it was Moses. Moses was known as the friend of God. He received the Ten Commandments. He's up on the mountain with God. He comes down. He would go into the temp, this tabernacle of meeting and get in the presence of God, and, and, the, and the presence of God was so strong that when he came out, his face glowed with the Shekinah glory, and it freaked out the people. They ran like they had seen a ghost. And so, you know, in that culture, women would wear veils over their face. He would, he would have to put a veil over his face to hide the glory. That's bad when you got to hide the glory. Oh, I'm feeling like an evangelist. Now, you know a church is in trouble when they keep doing things to hide the glory. Hmm. I better not go down that road. And he would put the veil on until the glory faded away, and then he would take the veil off because he looked like everybody else until he went back into the tent of meeting, and then he'd come out again. And the glory, if you will allow me to say it this way, the glory of God rubbed off on him. Because that's what happens when the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. That's why you ought to come to church on Sunday and get in this anointed presence because it'll rub off on you. That's good preaching, Pastor. I know. Come on now. I don't have to have amens, but I'm going to help myself. And yet, the guy who walked with God and had the glory of God, there's an incident in the Bible where he's with the Lord, with the Lord. And this is what he asked him, show me your glory. What, you, what more do you want? He wanted to plumb the depth, because he knew he was just scratching the surface. He said, God, I want to go as deep as I can to know you. In your brilliance, in your awesomeness, and in intimacy. God is a glorious God. Now, when Jesus became a man, God became man, the incarnation came to this earth, John tells us that he manifested the glory of God. And he said, we beheld his glory. Now, in my mind, when, when I think about that, it draws me to 
an event that happened with Peter, James, and John on the Mount, what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It is a one-time event in the earthly life of Jesus where he goes up on this mountain and then is transfigured. The Greek word is, and I can't say it, it's metamorpho because it has a, two O's and then a long O on the end. So I don't know. It's metamorpho or metamorpho, but it's from where we get our word metamorphosis. He was changed before them. And the Bible says that his his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. It was a supernatural manifestation. It was the Shekinah glory. Because when we're talking about veils, when Jesus robed with flesh, his humanity, for a lot of people, veiled his divinity. And that's why a lot of people couldn't see him as more than a man. But at this moment... His humanity got veiled by his divinity. And they knew they were in the presence of God and, and, and the glory of God was being manifested. It was a powerful moment. Matter of fact, it was so powerful they referred to it all the time. Even Peter talked about it later in his writings. The Shekinah glory, the brilliance of Christ. One time event. But John keeps talking and says, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, divine. And he said, but we saw the, the fullness of this glory, the, the, the unending abundance, the, 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 the thing of God that just keeps on giving and giving and never wears out. Full, glory that was full. This is, this is describing the glory, full of grace and truth. So day to day, as Jesus walked with them, they saw, John said, a different manifestation of the glory. They saw grace, and he spoke truth, and he extended grace. He spoke truth, and he extended grace. John Essence said, we saw, his, we saw every dimension of his glory. There are two words, and I want you to forgive me and bear with me, because I am a communicator, and I am, a, I am an educated communicator, but if you communicate in a way that does not resonate with people, then what good is it? And so I am, I am gifted, and I am also given propensity to take things but I would never be I would never diminish the glory of God you just have to let me can you just give me a little bit of space here to try to make wonderful deep truths in total honor of God the words that in my mind help me and I feel like the Lord's given me this I hope he has is that there was the shine and the substance not that I would diminish this the, the Shekinah because if it comes from God it's substantive <laughs> okay so bear with me, but for the sake of, of getting a dichotomy, of, of getting, you know, this juxtaposition of the dimensions of his glory. So if you can just bear with me a little bit here, there was the shine and the substance. And John said, we saw the shine one time, but daily we saw the substance, if you will. And let me just, so that I'm being careful here, of character. 
See, what the Shekinah is is a supernatural manifestation, but the, but the grace and truth is a character revelation of God. Does that make sense to you? And John said, we saw it all. Jesus was full of grace and truth, which is the glory of God. Let me just help you here with this for a minute. Truth, what is that? You know, we, Again, we use these Bibles. What, truth is reality. How many know that if God says it, it's true? How many know if God says it, it's real? Okay, so truth is reality. Grace is potential reality. Truth is what is. What it is. Truth is what it is. How about that, T? What it is. Grace is what could be. Truth conveys God's facts, but grace conveys God's favor. I'm trying to help you here. Okay. So all the time, every time, what color? My mother-in-law in Georgia would say, what color? She's got that whole Jimmy Carter thing going on. What color are the words in your Bible when Jesus is speaking? Red. Okay, every word in red is truth. Right? You act like you're not sure. Is he God? Son of God? Is he the word? Then anything he says is, you know, you got it. So Jesus spoke truth, extended grace. He spoke truth. All the words in red give us truth about God, about the character of God, the nature of God, the character of man, the nature of man, of sin, of heaven, of hell, of finances, of relationships. Everything he said is true. You want to find truth? Read the red. Of course, the rest of the Bible is true too. So he spoke truth, and he also talked about grace. When he encountered a sinner... He spoke truth. Truth in love, but truth. There's a difference. And this is what he said to them. You're in terrible shape. You're away from God. You're on your way to a devil's hell. You are lost in your sin. You are in bondage to sin. You cannot save yourself. Your religious works, even based on what what I gave you is God, the law. You have turned it into a hope that is hopeless. It will not save you. That's the truth. Kind of depressing truth, isn't it? Kind of truth you already know. But then God comes back and says, but there's grace. These are the facts, but here's the favor of God that can change this into something else. This is what it is, but this is what it could be. Favors, grace says, for God so loved the world that he gave, gave grace, God giving, gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The thief comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the truth. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have super abundant life and have eternal life. 
For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's grace. He was truth and he spoke truth. He was grace and he extended grace and together it composed the glory of God. And by the way, sinners flock to him. When, when we as believers, when, when I and my cohorts as preachers, teachers, when we refuse to speak the truth to a lost and dying world, we are not helping them. We are not helping them because speaking the truth is how they see the glory of God. That's why in humanism we are replacing the truth with human concepts like evolution and the Big Bang. And I could go on and on because sin and the devil in the world don't want the truth. They want to remove the truth because they want to remove the presence of God. We got rid of the Ten Commandments in the courthouses and the government buildings because we don't want God in the government. We got it out of the schools because we don't want God in the schools. So that's why our students better be full of the glory so they can't kick them out. All getting it. But you can't just have truth because if all you do is preach truth, then you have frustrated people who feel hopeless. You ever heard anybody preach on hell and it sounded like they wanted people to go there? It's horrible, isn't it? Any message on hell should end with grace, any message on hell should end with hope. You don't have to go there. There's an alternative. By grace, you can be saved through faith. That's why the worst thing the church can do is get in our little churches on Sunday morning and then clam up Monday through Saturday and never speak the truth or show grace. It is when we speak the truth and we extend grace to people that's when they, through the second incarnation, for he is, his, he is the head, but we are his body. They experience the presence of God. And there will be people who will run to you and say, when they hit a crisis, will you pray for me? And when they hit bottom and they know they got to get right with God, they'll come to you because you always spoke the truth in love, but you always gave them grace, and you'll be the one to tell them, let's pray. So let me just finish with a final concept. If you are saved, born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are a recipient and a reflection of his glory. I emphasized the verse when I was preaching, and of his fullness we have all received. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full, full of what? Grace and, and of that fullness of, speak those 
grace and, help me preach, of the fullness of and you have received. And grace for grace. What does that mean, grace for grace? I had to look it up because it doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I'm just, sometimes I read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. And grace for grace. That doesn't make sense for me. It doesn't make any sense for me at all. So I had to look it up. What is it? What, what, it just means it's unending grace. Grace leads to grace, that leads to grace, that leads to grace. How many glad God's grace never runs out? <laughs> you better be thankful. Some of you messed up about 12 times this week and had to go running for grace. Come on, somebody. Just as Jesus was full of grace and truth, you are full of grace and truth. Again, I'm repeating myself. This is how God reflects his presence in the world today. Let me, let me just push it one more time. People can experience God when they experience the God in you. And John uses words that tell us that this infilling is overflowing and continuous. It's a supply that's abundant all the days of your life. Now look, I'm going to talk to Pentecostals, okay? So talking to spirit-filled believers now. We don't reflect the Shekinah, right? I don't see any glowing faces in here this morning. Nobody's face is glowing supernaturally. However, this isn't in my notes, but as I was completing my study, my review last night, it did come to me. I think we will one day because you have been justified. Right now on this earth, you are being sanctified. You, go, you know where I'm going, right? But one day you will be glorified. Well, who's glory? Oh, I'm about to shout now. Now I'm about to feel in the Holy Ghost hit me. But whose glory is going to make you glorified? His glory. See, I think, well, I'm getting stuff that I didn't even have in my notes. I think sanctification is this substantive character glory right now. But one day we'll have it all, the total package. Makes me want to go to heaven and see what it's like. So no glowing Christians today. But we do experience the supernatural power of God, don't we? Oh, come on, Pentecostals, you can do better than that. How many of y'all like the supernatural? If you don't, you're in the wrong church. We love it, don't we? We love the manifestation of the presence of God. We love the manifestation of the power of God. How many, how many of y'all like the goosebumps? How many like when they get the tingles and hair stands up on you? You like that, don't you? Oh, I like it. I'd be lying if I don't. We like speaking in tongues. We like the gifts of the Spirit. We like the anointing. Wouldn't you rather hear an anointed preacher than a non-anointed preacher? Wouldn't you rather hear an anointed singer than a non-anointed singer? I've heard some of the most average singers sing under the anointing and people move and are, they respond. God uses them. The anointing makes the difference. We love it. I think people are drawn to spirit-filled churches. They tell us that millennials, and I think Gen Z may be in that category, are drawn to Pentecostal churches because they say we want more. They are open to the, to the transcendental, if you will. They're open to that which is supernatural. If there's ever a time when churches that are spirit-filled can be effective with the next generations, it's today. That's why there's so many of you in this church. We're drawn to it. People say, I want more. 
Lord, show me your glory in this church. And when we operate in the power of the Spirit, when we are operating in the supernatural power of the Spirit, yes, we reflect God because it is God who is working through us. So I just want to stop right here and one more time say to you, don't neglect the Shekinah. Are you with me? And by that I mean don't neglect the supernatural dimension or aspect or dynamic of your walk with Christ. Read your Bible, pray, come to church, raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Walk in faith. I could go on and on, but don't leave out the presence and the power and leave room in your life for God to show up and do something that makes the devil say, well, I didn't see that coming. Leave room in your life where God can work in your spirit and you can feel the goosebumps. Leave room in your life where if God wants to do something supernatural in you or through you, you say, God, here am I, send me. Don't shut it down. Keep, keep alive. Make room for both. I will make room for you. You better make room for both. Do whatever you want to, except if it's speaking in tongues, to do whatever you want to. I'll never do the gifts of the Spirit, but I will make a room. We're laughing, but in the history of Pentecost, we have pursued the Shekinah glory but we failed to express the substance of the glory by living according to the truth and walking in grace. Those of you who have come from a non-Pentecostal background and you're, you're sitting here today, you're not familiar with this, see? But there are a lot of us that grew up in this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to educate you and I'm going to remind the rest of us. In our past, we loved the Shekinah. And by that, I mean the supernatural. We'd shout and speak in tongues and, you know... You ever been in a smaller Pentecostal? I've been to hundreds of them. And, and man, they, you know, they, can, they can have a time. Okay? But we've been big on experience, and we've been small on understanding and knowledge. And that's why people came in our churches, and when there was something happening, we never explained it to them, and they thought we were a bunch of lunatics. You ever notice I try to explain when there's a gift of tongues interpretation? I don't do that for you. I do that for the people that are visiting who are saying, what was that? Let me explain. Because we're not a bunch of lunatics. I don't pastor lunatics. I pastor spirit-filled people full of the Holy Ghost and power. we got to explain it. And so, and so we were shouting and doing all that stuff, and people were coming in. They didn't understand what was going on. We were, we were small on knowledge. We were guilty of being more subjective than objective, and it promoted it promoted superficiality in some people. It promoted fanaticism in other people. And that's why people go to the extreme. That's why when you tell people you go to high praises and they say, what kind of church is that? And you say spirit-filled Pentecostal. The first thing they say is, do you handle? And you tell them, no. What do you think we are, Crazy. But because one thin segment in the mountains of Kentucky somewhere took that verse and ran with it, which in a way, I don't think that's what it means. Okay? You, 
they ran with it, and then they put it on television in one, one series, one series, and all of America watched it. And now you tell people you're spirit-filled. Oh, y'all handle snakes. Don't, we shoot snakes. I have a friend who grew up in the Church of God in Greenville, South Carolina. He saw and heard growing up, child on to adulthood, the shouting, the gifts of the Spirit, praise God for it, all the, the, all the speaking in tongues. He grew up around it. That's not the part that bothers him. He's cool with that. He's cool with that. So you don't misunderstand me. I don't want to be misquoted. He's cool with that. He knows what, what, when God's working. Okay, you got to be cool with stuff that's God. But what he saw was those same little white-haired ladies that did all that shouting and speaking in tongues on Sunday night, got on the phone and was criticizing people and tearing the preacher up and stirring up trouble and being hypocrites Monday through Saturday. And it jaded him. And he's jaded to this day. You can't, bear with me with the semantics, it's just so I can preach. You can't just have the shine. You got to have the substance. And so that I'll be more fair, you can't just have the supernatural. You got to have the character. People say, well, well, how did they do all that? How could they be? Because that's sin, Pastor. You're right, it is. Well, how could they do all that on Sunday night and act that way? I had a man teach me the answer to that. What God does through an individual is not necessarily a commentary on the individual. It's a commentary on God. Get that one and write it down. Because it's helped me through the years when I've seen people do stuff and found out later they're not even living right. So, Billy, come out, come out from where we're, you are and do this all the time. So, how can we apply what I'm preaching today? I'm coming to a close, and there's only one door to this sermon. One preacher said, I'm coming to a close five times, and a guy said, How many doors are in this sermon? How can we apply what I'm preaching today? We're going to, let's have the Shekinah. Let's have the supernatural. We're spirit-filled. We're not going to stop doing that, are we? But let's have the substance. Let's have the character. How do we do this? How do we shine that part of the glory? Number one, live by God's truth. Live by God's truth. And then lean on and extend God's grace. Live by God's truth. Here's the practicality. Here's where you take, this is what you take home with you. Here's your homework. Read the Bible. Believe your Bible, obey your Bible. Read your Bible, believe your Bible, obey, obey the Bible. Do what it says. Agree with what it says. Don't say, well, I agree with some things, but there's two or three things I don't agree with. Can't do that. Can't do that. Either you do or you don't. Are you with me? Either it is or it ain't. All the English teachers are going. Agree with what it says. 
Accept God's word as absolute truth. Make it the basis for all you say and do. Help me right here, Lord. Have a biblical world view. You understand what that means? You look through the lenses of the Bible to determine your values, what you believe, what you hold is true, how you conduct your life, how you raise your children, how you vote. How you run your business. Boy, if I've ever preached a pragmatic message, here it is today. Have a biblical world, not a humanistic worldview. And you can't have a hybrid. I don't want to gas an electric car. It's a really cool thing if you live in town. But if I'm going off on a trip, I do not want to get stuck on the side of the road because my battery's dead. And besides, I like gas-powered cars. I have a 2015 GT Premium Ford Mustang with a 5.0 Coyote 8-cylinder engine in it. There's power in that. Don't you electric people say, well, there's power in mine too. No, there's not. It just goes, hmm. Nothing in no roar, no exhaust. Quit worrying about climate change. We need more of these kind of cars. I'm, I've totally lost my place in this sermon right now. You can't have a humanistic and then half biblical worldview. That's not how it works. We're children of God, and what God says is truth. That's how we live it. When you sin and that Bible shines the light, did you get that? On your transgression, confess it, agree with what God says about it. You're right, God, I sinned, I'm wrong, and ask for forgiveness. And then lean on God's grace. Extend grace to the person who fails you. Extend forgiveness to people. Give second chances. Don't hold grudges. This is good preaching right here. Show mercy and move on. Because if you can't move on, now the problem's not the other person's problem anymore. Now the problem's become your problem. And by doing these things and so much more, this is how you reflect the Christ who is in you. This is how you reflect the glory. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But day to day in our lives, y'all, people ought to see God in us. Something about us ought to make people have their attention drawn to him. Stand with me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.